Hi, this is Jeff Stone of Grandpa's Pride Barbecue from the Panhandle of Florida, and you are listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Start the game! Let's go! We'll do it live. Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure it's safe? Whatever. We put the lighter fluid on, strike the match, and... Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. Welcome to the Really Big Barbecue Central Show. This is the show that talks about all things important to the world of barbecue and grilling. The show originates from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city of Cleveland, Ohio, the barbecue capital of the North Coast. A.K.A. Bomb City, USA. I'm your program host, Greg Rempe. Happy to have you aboard here on your Tuesday evening's live fire fun and frivolity show. If you want to jump in on the show tonight, here's how you do that. You can get in touch with the show by sending an email to greg at bbqcentralshow.com or on the Twitter and Instagrams at bbqcentralshow. Anything else you want to find out about the show can be found at the main website, thebbqcentralshow.com. And here's what's happening in case you get the newsletter. Coming up in about 13 minutes from now, she was on towards the end of last year for the first time. What I call the official or officially unofficial legal counsel as it relates to trademarks and copyrights for the Barbecue Central Show, the founder and CEO and creator of the Moskowitz firm, Suzanne Moskowitz, will rejoin us. Last time we talked heavy on the trademark stuff, I had revealed to all of you that the first part of 2021, actually it was the end of 2020, literally days, as it was literally rapidly coming to it, literally rapidly, it was rapidly coming to a close 2020, and I got in before the trademark price increase that was like 650 bucks or whatever it was, and then all through last year, waiting for holdouts, waiting for approvals, waiting for hurdles to get cleared, and we got there. I just don't have that official paperwork yet, but according to Suzanne, all T's and I's have been summarily dotted and or crossed, and we're good to go there. But we talked a lot about trademarking and what does it mean and how does it protect you and why would you want to look into trademarking and associated costs, things like this. But there's another side that I had mentioned that she covers as well, that being copyright. So this time around, we'll go copyright heavy. So if you have questions about copyrights, if you've ever been in trouble because you have infringed on somebody's copyright or you've been sent a nasty grab saying, hey, you used my picture without asking me even, take it down or I'll sue you, cease and desist. If you have a podcast like I do, should we be copywriting every single episode? We're going to get into all of that stuff from a legalese standpoint. And you will be further educated via a court, uh, uh oh, Stanford graduate. Is Cornell in there too? She's got quite the academic background. 
Suzanne Moskowitz will be first up this evening. Then we will go to 35 past the first hour. And the fourth Tuesday of the month in the first hour is what? Derek Riches. That's right. I waited. Somebody said it. I heard you in the peanut gallery. So Derek will join us for his monthly segment. We missed him last month at the close of the year. So we'll get a quick recap on how the end of the year treated him. And then we'll get heavy into the Weber Grill talk. We had the new grill master from Weber Grills, Dustin Green, on last week to talk about their side of it. We'll get Derek's take and his side of it from a journalistic standpoint. We'll also talk about thermostatically controlled grills, things of this nature. So very much looking forward to talking with Derek and getting his take on all of that. And then second hour, of course, on the fourth Tuesday of the month, brings the visit from the three gents from Utah, Michigan, and Texas, the Embedded Correspondents segment. Yes. We have a fresh batch of 100% Assurity picks that we'll get through. So if you want to join me on Clubhouse like we have over the last couple months and take part in that portion of the show with us, more than happy to have you doing that. But you have to be on Clubhouse in order to do that. So go ahead and download it on your phone or Club Deck on your computer if you want. And then find the show, take part, and we'll get into all of that here in a few minutes. Don't forget you can follow me socially, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and the Snappers at BBQ Central Show. For live video feed, you can go to Facebook and Twitch slash BBQ Central Show, also on YouTube slash RD Rempy. And as I just mentioned, for an audio version of this only with no video, which I highly encourage, you can download the Clubhouse app and check us out there as well. So let's start here tonight. Uh-oh. You know, Weber dominated the comments over the course of the week, stemming from Dustin Green's visit and then from what happened. Later last week, I'll get into Dustin's comments that sent a lot of you over the edge immediately after he said it. I actually have the soundbite that sent you over the edge. So if you were teetering, be wary of what's happening top of the second because I might send you over that edge by playing it again. But many of you were heightened enough to send me comments, and I'll get to those in the top of the second hour. But... I have to get to the event that took over the entire live fire news cycle for at least 48 hours at the close of last week. And I cannot believe that it did. I'm not sure if you're aware or not, but the singer Meatloaf passed away last Thursday. Well, prior to most folks learning of his ultimate demise, Weber, which was Thursday, Weber on Friday morning, early Friday morning, sent out an email blast or newsletter blast or whatever it is. This is something that you probably have to subscribe to in order to get it. I didn't get it personally, so I would imagine you would have to put an email address somewhere. And then you get these great recipes that Weber deems to share out through their signups. And it detailed out a recipe for grilled meatloaf. Now, many of you are like me, wondering what the big deal is, right? Grilled meatloaf, meatloaf the singer dies, how are these two things related, and how does this make any news at all? I'll tell you how it makes news. Weber thinks the recipe they sent might offend someone who now has both the meatloaf recipe and has also just learned of the death 
of the Singer Meatloaf. To get ahead of that, they blast out an apology newsletter following up that recipe email from earlier in the day, apologizing for the grilled meatloaf recipe. And a portion of that reads, quote, At the time we shared this recipe with you, we were not aware of the unfortunate passing of American singer and actor Mr. Marvin Lee Aday, also known as Meatloaf. We want to express our deepest apologies for this oversight and for any offense this email may have caused, close quote. Now, look, I'm not a PR expert here, but I'm telling you right now, this would have not been a blip on the radar had Weber just stayed down. Had they not sent the follow-up email telling people how to connect the dots to then become offended, none of this would have ever happened. However, the apology is sent, people see it, people see it everywhere, and the next day you see Google Alerts, if you use Google Alerts for things like barbecue or BBQ or grilling, popping like crazy with news outlets across the country reporting how Weber had to make an apology for sending out their meatloaf recipe because someone named Meatloaf had life happen to him. Weber, next time, call your boy and let me counsel you. Yes, some things require an apology, like when you go out of your way to be an offensive human or you're insulting someone or a group of people specifically. You know, like when Meathead said women don't know how to operate gas grills. That's offensive. Just kidding, Meathead. This was not that. This was coincidence that you sent out a delicious recipe and a little later, a guy who had two hit songs that sucked, by the way, back in the 70s, died. And his name wasn't really even Meatloaf. So no apology needed. However. I did have a quick huddle with my guy, Sean Walchef, Digital Hospitality, and the host of Restaurant Influencers Podcast, uh, the Restaurant Influencers Podcast, and he told me, this is exactly why you don't schedule your social media in advance. You don't use the automation. Seems easy. Seems efficient. Seems like best practice at that time. And then you run into something like this. So if we've learned anything over these last few moments, it's doing your social posting in real time so you can avoid these things from happening in the future. But even still, you send something out in the morning in real time, someone dies later that night. Is that still an issue? In this instance, again, coincidence. And that's it. Keep moving. No need to apologize. Right, Suzanne Moskowitz is in the green room. She's ready to go. And before we get to her, I will talk to you quickly about Yoder Smokers designing and building their products right here in the States and building pride through craftsmanship. Their world-class customer service is the backbone of how they've built the company. This approach translates into what can be a truly bespoke style product that elevates gatherings with friends and family. They're honored to have a trusted place in the backyards of America from pellet grills to wood-fired offsets and charcoal grills consistent blue ribbon flavor has become synonymous with the Yoder Smoker's name. Make no mistake, Yoder Smoker's flavor-driven design is unique to each style of pit, and their team has developed their cookers to perform time and time again while outlasting the competition for generations to come. It's this generational thought that's rooted in their handmade products and defines the integrity of the core values. American-made quality and endless flavor 
the benchmarks of Yoder Smokers. Visit YoderSmokers.com to grab yours today. In fact, I counseled my friend at the Howard Stern Show, Jason Kaplan, to look at a Yoder. He's in the market. So, Jason, you need to get over to YoderSmokers.com and check out that Y640. It's great. 480 is good. 640, a little bigger, bigger, better, especially in the barbecue world. So we'll see what happens with that. But you should be checking out Yoder Smokers as well. We'll talk a little copyright coming up out of the break. Stick around. Be right back. You're listening to the number one most downloaded barbecue and grilling podcast anywhere. The Barbecue Central Show. Broadcasting live from the Barbecue Central Show studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. All right, welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by the Barbecue Guru, creators of automatic pit temperature control technology, sellers of ceramic cookers with built-in power draft fans, and accessories to make your barbecue and grilling life easier. Visit bbqguru.com for more information or call them 800-288-GURU. Barbecue Guru continuing to be a breakthrough in barbecue technology. My first guest tonight is helping individuals and companies protect what they have worked so hard to create through the use of trademarks and copyrights, licensing, and a few other services. She was on the show for the first time at the end of the year, and it was two rave reviews. In fact, a few of you touched base with her to help you protect some things that you have going on as well. So that's a good thing. Last time we talked, it was about trademarks, as I had mentioned in the open, but this time we'll get hot and heavy on copyright stuff. So we race to the hotline and welcome back the owner of the Moskowitz firm, Suzanne Moskowitz. Hey, Suzanne. Hey, Greg, how are you? I am fine and appreciate you making time for the show and coming back on here as we are fleeting through 2022 here as the end of January hits us. Before we get going this evening, can we get a brief refresher on what trademark is and then what copyright is and then we'll dive into the copyright? Absolutely. And uh, I will try not to be too academic. I also have to always start with my CYA, um, as you know, Greg. I'm a lawyer, uh, but this is not legal advice without an actual l- engagement. So I'm providing this for informational purposes only. That's right. So entertainment. We love gi- it. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to in- entertain you with some musings on Indeed. protecting intellectual property. Um, so last time we talked a lot about trademarks. We talked generally too. And um, we got into how it could be for a brand, which could be articulated as the words like the words barbecue central or it could be a logo like the logo for your show now greg knows that i have a special something i'm I'm holding in this envelope that i've held hostage a bit (laughs) Um, i thought i'd see him in person and i haven't had the chance to yet and that is actually a registered it's okay if i show it yes please it's all public record i mean i can show it even without you asking ta-da look at that it is a registration certificate for the Barbecue Central show. What a coincidence Man, that I happen timing. to handle this. No doubt. Um, <laughs> and um, as you'll see, and this is actually going to be pertinent to our conversations here. This is a logo. Logos look artistic, but are they artistic enough? 
to be eligible for copyright protection as a work of art. I'll get to that. But for now, this is a brand and it designates it the source and the source being this wonderful show and it's associated entertainment services and downloadables and things like that. So that's, that's a brand. Then there's the concept of copyrights. Copyrights are for works of authorship. And that could be lots of things. It could be a photograph. It could be software code. It could be a full book. It could be a painting. And um, we talk about copyright a lot with brand owners because they're thinking about things like their packaging and their website design and using photos and getting permissions and all that. Suzanne, I know everybody's in like, oh, I'm writing down the number. By the way, before she jumps back on so I can give it to you, I forgot to give it to you at the top. The website is Keep TM, Tango Mike TM, like trademark, KeepTM.com. That's the quickest way to get to her website if you like all the other big words. The Moskowitzfirm.com is also the website. Uh, KeepTM.com will actually redirect you to the Moskowitzfirm.com, but that's the easy way to get there. So visit that while we're talking. And she's back. Hello. Welcome back. Yeah. So I heard myself talking and it seemed a little odd and I wasn't sure if you heard me. So I saw a, that's a, the shot of a floor, live, though, I think. <laughs> live TV, guys. Yeah. Nice. Um, okay. So are we good? We're good. We talked. We heard a little bit about the difference between a copyright and a trademark. And I wanted to show you... Um, a little bit about what it takes to be artistic enough to be copyrightable. Right. It's really easy if we're talking about a photograph, if we're talking about a full book. Um, then we get into some kind of ambiguous things like, is this artistic enough? Is I, it? I paid money for it. I, well, that I'm so glad she you mentioned that. In it, <laughs> and even something that you paid money for that was hand-drawn, isn't standard fonts, this would be rejected. Oh no! Most likely, oh. most likely, All right. as a copyright because it's not artistic enough. So then let's let's look at some other examples, shall we? I brought some yes. some visual aids. Okay, so I got some uh, some chips here. Okay, so Lay's has a logo. You see it. Yep. it it's, it's got some colors and some shapes. Would a logo that has some colors and some shapes be enough to be artistic enough to be a work of art to be a copyright? Answer: Maybe because it's got colors and shapes, but they're kind of standard colors and shapes. It's not that creative, believe it or not. But what if we talk about the whole package of this bag? We've got, whether they're probably, they're probably photos, probably not drawings of chips and sauces and all these kind of things. You put this all together, my friends, yes, and you could get a copyright protection for this whole package. Mm. Does that mean that you could keep another chip maker from having a bag this shape and size that has a picture of chips and possibly a picture of the sauce or seasoning? That is an interesting question we can talk about. Hmm. How close does something have to be to be infringing? Because you could but have just, a picture of you could have a picture of sauce, but not that mm -hmm. sauce. You could have a picture of chips, but not those chips, and you could yeah. have a different color of that gray and like all oh, things yeah. to skirt so, around, right? Yeah. And so you see oh, this kind dear. of thing all the time. Things that are like, hey, doesn't that kind of look, especially when you get into like 
you know, packages of artificial sweetener and they, they all kind of look the same, you know? Yeah. Um, so there's, there's, there's this standard of, you know, what is infringing and we can get into that in more detail, but just to just continue my example of my, the spectrum here from, from your logo, which I would say is great as a brand. It's a trademark, but is it a work of art? According to the copyright office, probably not, but Here's something. Ah, my look favorite at this hot lovely, sauce. Look at this lovely lady. Yes, Cholula. She is art. And so maybe the word Cholula is not art, but she, when put together with the package, is clearly art. <laughs> she is good enough. So there's your brief overview about what is good enough to be a copyright, although certainly a photo, a, a whole book, a whole set of code, all that of easily is copyright. Now, we could call you and say, hey, Suzanne, I have this logo. I heard you on the Barbecue Central show. I'm on the fence, but I'm willing to risk it. And then you would just uh, you know, take whatever associated fees and then sure. submit it so and see what nice happens. Well, first of all, I try not to file things that I, I think are dead in the water. I try to give you know an honest assessment. Um, but... The nice thing about a copyright application is it's a lot less expensive than a trademark. A trademark will will you know for filing government fees starts you at two hundred fifty. Some copyrights can be as low as forty five. You know, a typical copyright I file the government fees sixty five, um, and then you wait. And the examination is not as complicated as trademark examination. They're not literally going and looking for with trademarks. They're looking for other trademarks that are like yours with copyright. They're really just looking that you check the boxes. Mm. But here's the thing, folks, if you do a copyright application quickly and with errors, and then you want to use that copyright application to say, Hey, somebody copied my photograph. Well, the first thing, the lawyer on the other side, who could be me, is going to do is look up that application and see if there were errors in it. Because if there were errors in it, it may not be valid. Oh. Yeah. But it's a pretty simple process. Just like trademarks, you don't have to hire a lawyer, but it, you know, it can be helpful. No doubt. Um, so talking about trademarks, we had did a lot of, uh, we did, we did a lot of talking about trademarking stuff last time you were on. So in the world of copyrights, the thing that I see or, or a scenario I would like to paint for you is this. Um, I am going to make a post on Instagram about a cheeseburger. So I go to Google Images. I search cheeseburger. I find one that's very attractive to me. I download it, put it in my Instagram feed, write a witty post. And ultimately, I get 500,000 likes. But within the post, nary a mention of this picture I got it, any credit, nothing. In how many ways am I being a wrong human? <laughs> well, let's start with the, the the baseline here is if you're taking a picture that you don't have permission to take, you're technically an infringer. But rest assured, there are many exceptions, although I'm not going to tell you to rely on these exceptions because it's all gray area. So this is all the idea of is this fair use? And so somebody like Greg would call me and say, this is what I want to do. I want to use this picture. Is it, is it safe? I'm never going to say it's safe. Let me start by saying <laughs> I'm never going to say it's safe unless you took the picture. Even if somebody that works for you took the picture, unless they're your employee doing it in the scope of work, if they're a contractor and you don't have a written agreement, even if it seemed implicit from the arrangement that they were taking the picture for you, doesn't matter. You need to have that official transfer of ownership to you for it to not be infringement. So again, you're an infringer. Let's start with that. 
Now can we find an exception? So lots of myths, lots of myths out there about what the exceptions are. One is that if you only use a little bit of something, or like if it's an audio clip, you only use five seconds or 30 seconds, or or if if it's a song, you only use, you know, just the part of the beat. None of those things are really true. Also, you are here entertaining and educating people. That is a notable thing. You also have advertisers. And that puts you into the class of commercial use. Now, it's not just, it's not a binary, you know, commercial or non-commercial. It's kind of how commercial are you? This is not this, you putting it on your site is not the same as Traeger putting it on their site. Yeah. Because you are in the business of, you are still doing something that has some public benefit. Uh, Another myth is, you mentioned the thing about not giving credit. It's nice to give credit. It's 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 certainly the right thing to do, but credit is not going to get you out of infringement. Now, credit is probably going to be something that if you actually make an agreement with somebody, they're going to probably say, yes, you're allowed to, and you have to give me credit. Um, another myth, this is, a, this is a new one that's coming up a lot, which is, let's say somebody uses the hashtag that you use for your show, and they have a, a picture, you know, let's say that you're a commercial product. You're, you are the, you're the cheeseburger company. <laughs> okay. And somebody hashtags cheeseburger company. You think, oh, well, that means they've given me permission to then take that picture and put it on my feed. That's just not true. It, you still need to get permission and you can do it in an informal way. A lot of companies have programs now where they say, they kind of comment on your feed. They say, I like that. Can we use it? Follow this link. That's the best practice here. Now, the real going back to you're an infringer. It's too late. You've already done it. How much trouble are you in, right? You want to know? Sure. You're, you're probably going to jail. No, you're probably <laughs> not going to jail. You're probably oh not going God, to jail. Oh, my God. I was like, whoa. <laughs> that's a lot of people getting ready to go to jail. No. no, you're probably not. And the answer to that relates to whether or not the thing that you copied was copyright registered. So you don't have to register something at the U.S. Copyright Office to have copyright rights, okay? And most things, most works that are copyrightable are not actually copyrighted. So your podcast episodes, for example, somebody may take a clip from your podcast episodes and you may decide that it has exceeded fair use, that they have basically replaced you as the source of your own product, and now they, they've cut, sliced and diced it, and they're not listening to the commercials, and they've cut into your revenue, and you want to go after them. Well, if you have a copyright registration, good news. You're automatically entitled to get it into federal court. You're automatically entitled to attorney's fees. You're automatically entitled to what's called statutory damages, which means, you know, seven hundred fifty to 30000 or maybe $150,000 if it was really nasty, willful infringement. But most people don't really register. They just hope that nobody copies them. And then they can still rely on some remedies in state and sometimes federal court if you register it later. Mm. But if you register it after the infringement happens, your remedies are going to be very limited, probably to what's called an injunction, which means stop it. And the cost of getting that injunction is certainly going to exceed, or not certainly, but in many, or I would say most cases, 
the 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 guy with the hamburger picture if it has not been registered is probably not going to find it worth it to go after you but i should say there are people putting stock footage on the internet as a sort of a honey trap oh that's, i mean yeah that's a thing now wallpaper you know things that look like they are free they might even use the word free on their website but then there's fine print or there's fine print and the fine print changes. And what ends up happening is they are not just photographers, but they are in cahoots with these image rights organizations that are now sending out letters nonstop. Now, I don't know, Greg, if you've ever gotten one of those letters, no. but lots of, my, lots of my clients, good people, get those letters all the time. Hmm. And you can't just ignore those letters because like I said, starting the first step is you are an infringer. The question is, how how severe is it, is, is it? And are they really entitled? Because sometimes these letters make threats that are not accurate in terms of the rights because they don't actually have a copyright registration. So some folks that I know are fiercely protective of their pictures or recipes that they would post. Others seem to think that any publicity is good publicity and don't seem to chase as hard when they find or someone tells them, oh, hey, so-and-so is taking your stuff. Go check their account. Is one person more right than the other? Or does ultimately <laughs> it come down to if you haven't, as you kind of mentioned, if you haven't copyrighted your picture or your recipe, be as angry as you want, be as nasty as you want in DM, but don't expect a lot of resolution otherwise. Yeah, I would say... I think I said this when we were talking about trademarks too, that, you know, if you want to send a letter, that's absolutely fine. But this day and age, you should just assume that that letter will be posted on the internet. And that if you sound like a jerk in that letter, then the rest of the public will know that you're a jerk. And so it is good to try to deal with these things in a low key way, making a phone call, not making a threat, asking nicely. But yes, so much of this, it's amazing um, that companies don't just take the good publicity and be happy that people are promoting their things. Uh, but th that's just how it goes these days. But I think a lot of that is driven by kind of a new Im industry of profiting from image rights. Um, I do, you mentioned, you mentioned cookbooks and recipes, and I do want to make sure that I um, kind of address that because that that's becoming more of an issue. There's been some great articles about that lately. Um, and in a nutshell, very hard to protect a recipe. The reason it's hard to protect a recipe is because it's factual. Like if you have a phone book, phone books are not copyrightable because they're a collection of facts. So the more creative something is, the more copyrightable it is. So you may notice that nowadays when you go online for a recipe, you're going to see two pages of text before the recipe um, and photos and the grandma's story. Well, all of that is partly because they're building a narrative that this is actually a copyrightable work um, because the recipe itself, the ingredients, not so copyrightable. And there's been a few cases lately of people just changing a few ingredients and there's really no case against them. Did you see that Jamie Oliver is putting together a group of folks as he's getting ready to do another cookbook or something along these lines to where everything is being reevaluated. Um, I forget exactly what the term is, but it, it's a team of people that will look at the recipe and the story that goes along with it or potentially where it came from in order to not be offensive to some people. <laughs> like, 
Can you believe, like, is this just where we're at in the day and age or what? The only offensive recipes are for meatloaf, right? I mean. Currently. Yeah. By the way, Suzanne, that was too soon, but you'll probably be hearing. Yeah, I'm sorry. You can issue an apology in five minutes. You're the one who said the songs weren't good. I didn't say that. (laughs) The worst. (laughs) You're the one who's going to get the hate mail. (laughs) Fine. Bring it on. Those are the two worst songs ever. Agreed. Uh, no comment. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's a yes. <laughs> Ask me next time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Too much time will have passed at that point. Um, <laughs> anything else we want to know copyright wise in the next 30 seconds? Yeah. I mean, just also being careful about if, you know, if you're somebody who hires a celebrity or a, a, a grill celebrity, somebody to do endorsements for you, the federal trade commission is really cracking down on these endorsements. If somebody says they like your product, they better have tried your product. Otherwise you may have a false advertising claim and you need to make disclosures that are fair. I mean, if somebody's in a commercial on TV, it's obvious they got paid, but if they're just making an appearance and they say something about your product, sometimes it's not clear that they were paid. And so those disclosures have sort of a, there's sort of a balancing standard of what's Mm. fair. Uh, But if you're not sure, maybe consult an attorney too, because there's just a lot of a lot of ways to get in trouble with advertising these days. So here's an interesting thing that just happened. Uh, Friday, I was sent, well, I took delivery Friday of this really large cigar humidor through like an interview I did with somebody who's like a real cigar expert, but they heard me talking to them. I think there's the thought that the show has some legs behind it. And so the, they sent me this 400 count cigar <laughs> humidor. I, I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> so I'm going to shoot some video of it and do like a rolling evaluation of it, but I'm no expert. So do I need to disclose right up front that they sent it to me for free? Is it assumed that they did? You know, in context, what? in context, you could argue that it's, that it's assumed, but just how hard is it to say they sent this to me? You know how it's such an easy thing for you to do because by the way, it's not just on them. It's on you and on them in terms of the potential violation. Mm. So just, just go ahead and take that extra step and say, they gave this to me. Suzanne, as a lawyer, are you always thinking I got to cover my ass no matter what you're doing? Is that like inbred in lawyers or can you just live close and fancy free? Well, I'm trying to cover my clients' asses too. So, <laughs> fair enough. Of course. Uh, look, people are in the instant chat. She's fascinating. What a great guest! And the oh, list goes on. Oh, I can't even see it. Oh, I hope it's all nice. Uh, KeepTM.com is the website that you would want to go to. You can talk to Suzanne about trademarking and also copywriting and/or both, depending on if you are trademarkable and you have works of art laying around. You can get all of that taken care of right there. Plus, we have some folks that are affiliated with the show. They're doing business with Suzanne. So this is a good egg right here. By the way, dare I say, Cleveland. That's all you need to know. Top of the food chain. Uh, Anything else before I let you go tonight, Suzanne? No. Thank you so much for your time. Nice to see everyone. Thank you. There she is, Suzanne Moskowitz. uh, The Moskowitz firm, yes. And the website, keeptm.com. We are waiting for Derek Riches to show up, so I would suggest. Again, if you are somebody that has things that you've been working on, you would like to protect, you've thought about it, you didn't know how to go about it, now we have a friend in this portion of the industry. As we saw right there in the lead of the interview, I have my official certificate trademark for the show, branding. So it is keeptm.com. That's keeptm.com. Suzanne Moskowitz. 
and she'll take care of you. All right, before we get to Derek, I'll talk to you quickly about Primo Grills. What do we love about ceramic cookers? We love that they're fuel efficient. We love that you can achieve low and slow temperatures for traditional barbecue meats. We love that they can get really hot for grilling of steaks and other thin cuts. But what's missing in the everyday lineup of ceramic cookers? The ability to do true two-zone cooking. Two-zone cooking, very important to both professionals and backyard cooks alike. It's the best way to manage a fire and cook with confidence. However, getting a two-zone fire and a round ceramic cooker, not overly realistic. Why? Because it's round. Here we go with Primo Grill and their game-changing oval design. The shape gives you the ability to execute a two-zone setup that you desire. It also gives you the other ceramic grill benefits as well. Really, when you break it down, there's more than 60 different ways to configure the Primo cooker, so you're only limited by imagination. Now, what are you saying to me? What about these accessories, Greg? We love accessories with our cookers. Don't worry. They got you all hooked up here. They have the Primo Grill rotisserie. They have the Primo Grill pizza accessory. They have the stainless steel half pan. They have the rib rack where you can put a whole chicken in the middle if you want. The list goes on. Primo Grill's only sold through dealers, so find one near you, primogrill.com. That's primogrill.com. Find a dealer near you, get educated, and buy one. Here's the bottom line. The best ceramics in the biz, yes. Patented technology, yes. True two-zone cooking capabilities. I just said that. Multiple sizes, and yes, if you just have to have a round one, they have those as well. As I tell you each and every week, consider the oval. Be a game changer. Be a mold breaker. Who's ready for a Primo? I'm ready for a Primo. Again, primogrill.com, the website. Find a dealer near you. And thank me later. We're back with Derek Riches right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. Stern, Jim Rome, Dan Patrick, and Greg Rampey. The Mountain Rushmore of talk show entertainment. Now, let's get back to the Barbecue Central Show. And this portion of the show being brought to you by CookinPellets.com, your number one source for quality wood pellets for all your pellet-driven cookers. Visit CookinPellets.com for more information or to purchase. You can also visit Amazon.com to purchase as well. But I recommend going right to the website, CookinPellets.com. And going from there, I sent CB some dates to get hooked up on a show, but nothing yet. We'll keep going. Many of you loving Suzanne Moskowitz's last segment. Brian Cooper weighing in. Greg Rempe and I have the same lawyer. John Paul Bosky, Suzanne fan forever. Bill Rempe, what a great guest. The list goes on. Let's keep the momentum rolling because it is the fourth Tuesday of the month in the first hour, and that means a visit from Barbecue Central Show guest Hall of Fame member and barbecue journalist of Live Fire, Derek Bridges. Hey, Derek. Hey, Greg. How you doing? I am fabulous and glad to see you again. Had a month off. Did the end of the year treat you just as well as the balance of 2021? Well, that's not saying much, is it? But no, yeah, it was good. It was nice. It was nice to have uh, some downtime from things. Did you get any cool barbecue gifts? I mean, as a guy who probably gets sent a lot of stuff, no. you're probably not wanting for much, but did anything pique your interest? That's actually one of my rules. Don't give me barbecue stuff. Oh, you know. What was the best gift then? 
Uh, I got a new generator. Yeah, my wife got me. My wife got me a generator because of, for the winter. <laughs> for the winter, when the power goes out for a yes, week. Yes, I heard uh, earlier in the week the Texas power grid was going to be put to the test sooner than later because there was some winter-like weather. Not the four feet of snow that dumped on Cleveland here last week, but whatever that means to you. Yeah, it got, it got down to like 29, I think, one night. Yeah. So, you know, it's been pretty brutal down here. Mm-hmm. No no need for the generator yet? Not yet, not okay. yet. Good. So far, we've been... So far, so good. All right, so read Derek over DerekRiches.com, of course, and he's got grill reviews, and he's got breaking news articles and editorial pieces. He's a leading opinion maker here in the live fire industry like myself. Last week, Derek, we had Dustin Green from Weberon. He's the new Weber grill master. For years, it was Kevin Coleman. Not sure exactly what happened to Kevin Coleman, but now Kevin Coleman's name is Dustin Green. And he appears to be a lot shorter, but uh, very knowledgeable. And we talked on and on about the newest line of Genesis revamps that was coming out. And I don't want you to think that I'm not going to mention it, but a number of weeks ago when Weber was teasing the release of 118, I saw a picture of something. I got really excited because a week before that, Charbroil came out with the thermostatically controlled cruise grill. And publicly, I went out and said, Weber's coming out with a thermostatically controlled grill. You hinted around that I was talking out of school and not knowing much. I wanted to make a large bet. Then quickly I backed down. Didn't come to fruition is what I'm saying in a long roundabout way. But yeah, I shouldn't have talked to you out of the bet. I know. You would have been a very rich, richer man than you are now. But they did come out with a revamp of the Genesis line, which I guess for all intents, holding the charcoal aside, this is the flagship product of Weber, really, a lot of us have some form of Genesis gas grill in our backyard, uh, maybe along with a a kettle cooker or some other type of Weber product. So um, I don't know if you listened to what Dustin had to say, but you've gotten some information on it. So what are your thoughts on the new Genesis line and what's good and what still needs fixing? Well, you know, I mean, they came out and said this would be the biggest innovation in grilling in the last 15 years, which I thought, okay, so 15 years ago was 2007. That's when they did a redesign of all their gas grills. Um, That redesign was largely cosmetic. They did kind of cut the power and the high temperature output for the grills came down. So... You know, I'm I, I'm trying to kind of figure out what their level of innovation is, um, but you know, you, you you know, I mean, you saw the hype. You talked to Dustin. What is it you think is the innovation here? What did they just do? I can tell you what I saw. Yeah, it appears that there is a non-optional sear burner installed in every cooker. It appears every cooker now has cabinetry underneath the cart. Uh Uh-huh. And it also appears there is a three-burner model and a four-burner model, no longer a two, and no more than four. And also, you have the option of, is it the custom cookware or the, the, the custom set? Or you now have access to getting a grill that can accommodate accessories that Weber makes and trying to capture their own little accessory market now. Right. It's uh, what they call Weber crafted outdoor kitchen collection. Weber crafted, right. 
And then uh, yeah. it can also, you have the eye grill thing or not. A smart, yeah, smart accessory some, or not. Yeah, you've got the... But not on the four. I noticed that. You don't you don't have the smart on the four burner, if I remember um, correctly. Now you make me look at my notes. Uh, yeah, there is a SPX 435 for, 18, for 1899. That's a four That's burner? Four burner smart grill. All right. Well, good. I'm so, wrong. right. So, you know, I mean, they, they talked about innovation and it's, you know, they're pushing this whole big thing. And so you're thinking, okay, it's this accessory set. Now, in reality, this accessory set is an expansion of what they used to call the gourmet barbecue system. And that was a small circular piece of the grill grate that could be taken out and you could put in a Dutch oven, you could put in a plancha, you could put in, you know, a number of different accessories that would fit into this little circular piece. Now with this Weber crafted outdoor kitchen collection, you can take out a 16 by 16 section of the cooking grate and you can put in a griddle, you can put in a stone, you can put in a very large, heavy cast iron searing grate, I'm sure more accessories to come. So, you know, you think it's like, okay, this is about accessorization. Weber's been big about accessories for a long time. They said a decade ago that the market, it, particularly the US market was about accessories. And so you think you buy a Genesis grill, you now can just go out and get one of these accessories and plop it in your grill, right? I mean, does that not seem logical? Yeah. Well, the specialized cooking grate, which is known as the Weber crafted grill frame, will come on four of the 14 models that will be sold in the United States. Mm. And it will come on, I think, six of the units that will be sold outside of the United States. So they have different models in different countries. Weber always does that. It's, it's confusing and it's kind of a pain in the ass to people who try to keep track of their products, you know, me. Um, so, so you buy the Genesis and you think, oh, great, I get all these accessories. Now you have to have the specialized frame piece to put in and that's 170 to $180. Hmm. And then if you want the, the griddle, so just you the can framing do is an cooking. extra 180 bucks. Yes. Just oh. the framing. Wow. So if you then you want the griddle, that's a hundred dollars. And the cookstone is a hundred dollars, and the cast iron searing grate is a hundred dollars. You can spend, you could buy a nine hundred dollar Genesis, cheapest model they're going to be offering now, and then spend a thousand dollars accessorizing it. Wow! Right off the bat, yeah, but fortunately, you've got places to hang all and put all those accessories into the cabinet because they spend a lot of time designing the cabinet. So you can hang the cooking grates and the different accessories and put them all inside. So, I mean, I, this is just, to me, this is, it's a huge upsell thing. It's just, you know, if you, if you want to get a Genesis grill because you want the accessories, because you want to have that. The least expensive model of Genesis uh, is a specialty market only available in certain locations and it retails at $1179. Mm. So $280 more than the base model. And you get the $180 accessory unit that goes in it. 
and then you get to buy the accessories. Has and has Weber struggled with accessories before? Or are they just trying to oh, have a product that is all encompassing? I I think that you know what they're pushing for is is um, versatility. You know, this gas grills have kind of taken it on the chin in the last couple of years because of the explosion of pellet grills. Uh, and so, you know, let's build this accessorizable system in here and then we can just, Father's Day is going to roll around and we're just going to push out, here's the accessories for that grill you've registered through the iGrill app and, you know, you've already got your Father's Day list going. But, you know, I mean, if you go out and you look, well, you can get a 16 by 16 pizza stone for 30 bucks. You can get a number of griddle accessories that will fit into a gas grill for, uh, you know, for as low as 40. Can't you get a Blackstone so, flat top griddle cooker for 300 bucks? Yeah, you can do that too. So, you know, I mean, there's that option. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I mean. So where are you sitting on the biggest innovation over the last 15 years? A little sour on that? <laughs> A little bit. Yeah. I mean, you know, the one thing they did do is is that sear burner that that has been an option is now going to be standard. It used to be nine thousand BTUs. It's now thirteen thousand BTUs. So now the Weber Genesis is a powerful grill on two thirds of the cooking area. The other third, it's still underpowered. It's still a bit weak. But you know, uh, you know. This is just kind of, again, a kind of the demonstration that they consider themselves more a luxury brand than, you know, a, a general brand for, for the people who are, you know, going to get that $300 gas grill that has no name at the local big box store. So who is that and, lower tier then? If Weber is now fancying themselves a luxury-ish <laughs> brand, is Charboil now the, the everyman's grill? Yeah, I mean, Charbroil still has units down into the $250-$300 price range. Um, but, you know, more and more, it's just kind of been taken over by no-name store brands. I, I, I think that just kind of there's, – there's a lot of costs that's gone into the gas grills, and there's been a lot of kind of inflation in the component pieces. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of harder – for uh, grill manufacturers to build that cheap grill. I mean, you know, forever we had the, the cheapest $99 gas grill and, you know, for 20 years that price never changed and then that's just kind of died away. Derek Rich is joining us here on the show, DerekRiches.com, his website. Uh, transitioning a little bit here and it seems like we bring Traeger up every time we're visiting on a monthly basis. Derek, Traeger stock is reeling. I'm no stock guy, but I know from a few days into opening at the end of July or whenever it was, or the end of August, it was cresting at 32. And today it closed at $9.61, which is down 4% from yesterday. What the hell is going on over there? <laughs> they have not managed to get any excitement. I mean, Weber stock hasn't done quite as bad, but it's plus ten bucks. Not doing very well. Yeah, I mean, it's it it's. I mean, not great. Tanked by the as way. bad, right? Um, I think that you know this. You know what I was thinking about this, and and it was like so. 
CEO, Traeger CEO Jeremy Andrus does uh, an interview on CNBC right around the time they do the big, you know, the, the, the IPO goes out, stock goes out. And in that interview, I think he said Peloton seven times. And like, we can be like that. We can be this super luck, you know, this super lifestyle brand sort of thing. And people will kind of gravitate around us and our accessories and our clothing and our, you know, our boxed foods that they now ship out and all of those sort of stuff. And uh, I don't know if you've looked at Peloton stock, but it's gone from 160 to 25 in the last year. They stopped making bikes. Um, well, you know, I mean, they... It just has not been good news for a number of companies, and and you know both Traeger and Weber have had a, a lot of difficulty getting a positive message out there. Um, when I look at the, you know there's there's forums where the day traders and the stock traders kind of like post memes and smack talk each other and do all this sort of stuff, and they're almost universally all by Traeger at eight. So really? that I, I'm assuming that's where the floor is. The floor wow. is probably going to go down eight. another dollar sixty. That's that, I mean that's what I would bet on. Wow. I, I mean I'm not going to I'm not going to invest in it because are they beaming it's where it's going to rally back to if you buy at eight? Will like will it see twenty again? Because I'll buy at eight. I mean, it'll go get, back to twenty. I mean, you get some of these analysts who said who keep saying the target price is thirty six, but they've been saying that since you know the IPO and. You know, they just keep. Oh well, we 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 still believe in it as a brand, and I'm like, well, uh, yeah, you do that, okay. I don't, you know, know what kind of. I mean, Jeremy Anderson actually gave an interview where he said we are suffering from pretty severe logistical problems, and we're going to do our best to make sure that grills are getting in stores, and you know, that tanked the stock, and it's kind of the last word that the company's put out is we're trying to make sure people can buy our products and that doesn't exactly inspire confidence uh derek rich is joining us here on the show derek riches.com is his website uh, before i let you go derek how is that complete guide to smoking meat 100 smoking good recipes for barbecue and more doing that's been doing really well um, um i'm happy with it i think the publisher's happy with it so you know i mean it's publishing is a weird world and I don't understand the math that they use to figure stuff out. But from everything I've seen, it's done, done really quite well. If you haven't, we've had a lot of good feed, a lot of, a lot of good positive feedback on good. it. Well, if you haven't picked up a copy or your live fire lover didn't get you or gift you a copy this holiday season, take some of those newfound riches from the money that your parents gave you and go buy your, copy of Derek Rich's new book, The Complete Guide to Smoking Meats, 100 Smoking Good Recipes for Barbecue and More. Maybe next month, we won't have any Traeger topics. However, <laughs> I will say this. February 8th, locked in, Jeremy Andrus appears on this show. In the wow. first hour, I had to bump Meathead and Dr. Robert Moss off their recurring guest schedule. So I can accommodate got him for like a CEO. whole hour. I got them for a whole two interview segments. So uh, we might talk offline to uh, strategize some pertinent question asking and uh, yeah, see how it sure. goes. So, all right. Well, uh, uh, in the meantime, you can find Derek Riches on the fourth Tuesday in the first hour in the second interview segment right here on this show or in the meantime, DerekRiches.com. Derek, always appreciate the time. 
Hey, it's great, great to be here. And, uh, just one small thing on the book content warning. There is a meatloaf recipe in it. So no apology necessary. No apology necessary. Derek, always appreciate the time. Thank you for coming on. There he is. Derek right there. He knew that I was potentially going to be asking him about the Weber apology that I talked about there in the show open. All right, uh, let's talk to you about Green Mountain Grill, some of the best pellet cookers out there on the market today. Just talking to Jason Baker a couple days ago. Things are going well. Two lines to choose from. Choice line. So if you're looking to save a few bucks, you don't need a lot of the tech or the internal meat probes, things like this. Choice line is the one you want. Daniel Boone is the size. This also accommodates a pizza oven insert, if you like pizza ovens and inserts. Then you have a prime line on top of that. A little bit more of a robust build on the chassis. You have a front table to work with. Now you have internal meat probes times two. Now you have look-in windows on the main cooking chamber and on the pellet hopper. You also have lights inside of the cooker if you want. And Wi-Fi technology. You can open up an app. You can control it right from your app. Pipe the temperature up, pipe it down set custom cook cycles, all the fun stuff. Green Mountain Grills, like Primo's, only sold through dealers, so find a dealer near you. Primo Grill, I'm sorry, GreenMountainGrill.com. That's GreenMountainGrill.com. Go to the dealer that's near you. Talk to the sales guy. He's full of educational knowledge. He will educate you. You'll pick the right size. And when you are headed home as you're checking out, you'll also pick up a pizza oven insert because the pizza oven insert can go in the prime line as well. Now you're fully complete. Sauces, rubs, other accoutrements at Green Mountain Grill's website, GreenMountainGrill.com. That's GreenMountainGrill.com. We're back to wrap the first hour right after this. Stick around. Be right back. Continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Craig Rampey. We thank Derek Riches for joining us the last segment, as always, the fourth Tuesday of every month in the first hour. This portion brought to you by Fireboard 2, Fireboard 2 Drive, and Fireboard 2 Pro, and Fireboard Spark. Monitor up to six different temperatures simultaneously. Connect to Wi-Fi for cloud-based monitoring or connect via the Bluetooth. If you have Alexa or the Google Assistant in your home, you're in luck. Fireboard fully integrated with both. Find out more by visiting fireboard.com or call 816-945-2232. In summary of Derek's visit, he's a little sour on the Genesis stuff. Doesn't like. These are my feelings on listening to him talk. Isn't overly jazzed that you have to pay 180 bucks to get that extra chassis portion for the custom kit, and then every accessory is 80 or uh, I'm sorry, 100 plus dollars. So you can get the 900 dollar grill, and then you're in a thousand dollars of accessories. Accessories are very important. You know, typically with accessories, it's like selling trucks. The money isn't in the truck sales; it's in the parts and service. Similarly, on grills, it's not necessarily the grill sale. It's the accessories and all the other stuff. That's where the margin is. Margin isn't necessarily in the grill. It's in the accessories. 
Read Derek at DerekRiches.com. We're pointing to the second hour where we'll have great takes. And we have the embedded correspondence coming up and all that fun stuff. So stick around and we'll be right back.